<sighs> Morning, everybody. <sighs> Hope y'all uh, had a good week. Uh, apologies if I sound a little bit raspy. I'm still getting over a cold that's just kind of been sticking around for a while. Message walls will be a little bit between me and my vocal cords to see if I can beat them to their. And what we're going to be taking a look at is Judas Iscariot. We're going to be laying his story alongside some of the other people we see in those same narratives where he shows up. Now, Judas is not a name that needs a whole lot of explanation to Christians, or so we think. We know who this guy is, right? I'm not so sure about that. I think what we do a lot of times is we hear the name Judas and think, oh, the one guy who we're actually supposed to hate, and then keep reading. Or if you've watched The Chosen, maybe you've got the character off of that show in mind. And I think it's a, a mistake to do either thing with Judas. Not that we should try to be like him. That is not what I'm saying at all. But he's in the Bible for a reason, or reasons. And today we're going to try and find some of those reasons and find how does this apply to us today? Just a real quick freebie thought is, Judas sold out his faith in his Savior for 30 pieces of silver. How often do we do that for free? Now, Judas is identified in all four Gospels and the Book of Acts as one of Jesus' apostles, and his, as well as his betrayer. We really don't have much information at all besides this. Um, he's in the Chosen, but Judas in the Chosen is pretty much pure speculation as to who Judas was. It's not bad speculation, but they had to make something up for the show because there wasn't much written down about him. Um, John 12, 5 through 6 will show us that he wasn't the very most honest person. But there's little past that, you know. Here, give me the money so I can give it to the poor. And he did not. Judas' name in Greek is very similar to the Greek word for Jew. And some people have speculated that the name Judas is a metaphor for the entire Jewish people. And you get a little deeper into your Bible study, and you may see this in a few commentaries. I disagree. Judas is a very common name in first century Israel, and there are several other Judases in the New Testament who are portrayed very positively. So I kind of doubt that's something that anything. I kind of doubt that's something the gospel writers are trying to do. It'd be a bit like you have a story set in France where one of the characters is named Francois. It could be a metaphor for French people, or it could just be that's a popular name in France. 
and as well as that, I think the people rejecting Judas for Barabbas in Luke 23, 13 through 25 gets the Judas betrayed by his own, sorry, the Jesus betrayed by his own nation point across much more effectively. So there's not really that much um, background about Judas. So let's take a look at where he is in the Bible. Outside of John mentioning him in the sixth chapter of his gospel, he only really shows up as a name on the list of apostles until we get to the last week or so of Jesus' life. And once we're there, we kind of know what he does. Judas is the betrayer. I want to highlight someone who shows up alongside Judas quite a bit in those last few chapters of the Gospels, and that's Peter. In Matthew, we see Jesus show up and Judas show up and betray Jesus, and then a few verses later, where the Sanhedrin is interrogating Jesus, Peter shows up. Mark puts the betrayal in Peter's next appearance almost in the same paragraph. Luke does the same thing. And John is quite similar. I'm going to speculate that maybe the gospel writers have a reason for how they arranged their material beyond just, oh, this was the chronological order of things. There could be something to learn from who is doing what and when. Now, we know what Judas is up to in these passages. You know, he's doing the betrayer thing. What's Peter up to? Well, it's not all that much better. If you turn to Luke 22, verses 54 through 62, we see this. Then seizing him, that is Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl, a servant girl, keep that in mind, saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, oh, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Now, Judas betrayed Jesus, but Peter wouldn't even acknowledge that he knew him. This doesn't excuse Judas. But I think it says something when you have these two incidents pretty much directly after each other in all four Gospels. Peter and Judas were close associates of Jesus. Both fell away. Certainly have to acknowledge Judas' betrayal is the more severe of the two. And yet, Peter is esteemed in the church, and we revile Judas. Why? Well, let's look at the differences. Later on, after Judas 
has sold out Jesus. We have this in Matthew 27, verses 1 through 5. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. Well, what is that to us? They replied, that's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. Judas realizes what he's done. But having tried and failed to undo his betrayal, he simply gives up. Now, let's compare this to another verse in Matthew, Matthew 26, 75. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Something to keep in mind here is where Matthew 26:75 has Peter weeping bitterly and Matthew 27 has Judas seized with remorse. It's the same word in the original language. Judas and Peter are, you know, emotionally, mentally speaking, in the same place here. So we've got a very similar response in both of them at first here. And that's going to highlight the differences later on even more. So a bit of theology I do need to bring up is that a lot of people who are way smarter than I am have spent a lot of time debating on whether, whether or not Judas was technically guilty of his betrayal because it was foretold by prophecy. The argument goes more or less that, well, God made him betray Jesus, so it wasn't his fault. This is a difficult part of Scripture where we may not have an easy and convenient answer. But I'm going to note that all four Gospels and Acts treat Judas as guilty, and so I think we can too. One other question that comes up along with that is whether or not Judas could have repented of what he did or not. This question is raised by verses like Matthew 26, verse 24. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to the one who betrays him. And we have that same quote in the other synoptic gospels. And what you'll hear on this is because Jesus says this about Judas, it meant that he couldn't be forgiven for what he did. Now, I don't personally hold this position, but you're not obligated to agree with me on this. I think there's going to be people with both opinions in heaven. So, Bible nerd moment over. Let's get back to the sermon. Now, after Jesus is resurrected, we have this interesting passage in John 21, verses 15 through 19. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, 
Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. So again, this is after Jesus has risen from the dead and shows himself to the apostles in Galilee. Peter, who previously denied Jesus, is reinstated here. And Judas is laying dead in a potter's field. We'll fast forward a few weeks to the events of Acts and we'll see this. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled, in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So we've gone from Peter and Judas both being seized with the same kind of emotion to Peter replacing, you know, overseeing the replacement of Judas. And he goes on to write First and Second Peter, and with the possible exception of Paul, is probably the most prominent early church leader, ultimately being crucified in Rome around the year 64 AD. So what leads to Judas hanging himself and Peter going on to minister for another 30 years or so before he's killed? I think the big thing to note here is Judas is going his own way from the moment he betrays Jesus, or really makes up his mind to betray Jesus, until his death. Once he realized, even when he's trying to buy Jesus back from the Sanhedrin with that 30 pieces of silver, it's Judas doing Judas's thing. And when that doesn't work, that's it. He has nothing left in himself, and he's not looking anywhere else. 
Judas is not repentant because that would mean he has to turn from the way he's going. It's one of the meanings of the word repent is just to turn. Now, let's compare this with our other character here. G Peter is trying to follow Jesus, and, you know, we see him fail pretty hard in Luke 22, but he repents. After he denies Jesus, the next time we see him is when he's running to the empty tomb on Resurrection Sunday in John 20, verses 1 through 7. Peter is still running after Jesus. And Peter will eventually follow Jesus to his own death in Rome. Judas ran from Jesus to his own grave. Peter followed Jesus to his own grave. And that was the difference. Well, what does this have to do with us? Well, I mean, I suppose it's probably a good thing that nobody here has ever done anything wrong in their lives, right? <laughs> oh, you mean maybe you have. Well, I suppose it's probably a good thing we have some examples of people who did things wrong then. Now let's take a look at some of the lessons we can learn from Judas and Peter. The first thing I want to highlight is that being very sorry for something is not all that God wants from you when you've dropped the ball. Sometimes it may not even be part of what God wants from you at all. There is more to it than just feeling bad for what you did. Remember, exact same word for both Judas and Peter's reactions. And that didn't work out so well for Judas. So what, how do we respond when we've dropped the ball, because it's going to happen. Well, one of the big difference makers between Peter and Judas is Peter changes course when he realizes, oh, I have goofed. Judas kept going straight down his own path. I mentioned the word repentance. One of the meanings of that word is simply to turn. Thus, you turn from your wicked ways and follow Jesus as Peter did instead of accelerating to your own demise. Something else worth taking a look at here is we can avoid falling away in the first place. It doesn't mean we're going to because we're a human and, you know, we make mistakes. But I want to bring up something Peter does later on. This is Acts 4, 8 through 14. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, 
they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who'd been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So the last time before this Acts passage where Peter is getting directly confronted about Jesus by someone, he denies even knowing who Jesus is. And that was facing the all-too-fearsome visage of a random servant girl. Just to say, possibly the single least fearsome person Peter could have been confronted by in that culture. And now he's standing in front of the Sanhedrin here in Acts, the same Sanhedrin that had just put Jesus to death, the most powerful political body in all of Israel, and this Sanhedrin is astounded by his courage. Well, what gives? Well, one thing is Peter's seen Jesus resurrected at this point, and that definitely counts for something. But even more important is what we see in the second chapter of Acts. The day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole place where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Acts 4, this is the power of the Spirit where we previously are seeing Peter shrinking and cringing away from a servant girl, he can now boldly stand and proclaim Jesus to the same people who had demonstrated both the appetite and the power to kill Jesus. Peter would have had no reason to expect anything different to happen when he stood before them. You know, we go back and we read Acts and we're like, oh, of course Peter was delivered. Peter doesn't know that. But there's no denial this time because Peter's seen the resurrected Jesus and he has the Spirit. And we have both of these things available to us today. Ephesians uh, 6, verses 10 through 17. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And in Romans 8 verses 9, which I don't have on the screen, it says, you do not have the Spirit of Christ, you do not belong to Christ. 
So we all have the Spirit if we are indeed children of Jesus. There's no following Jesus without the Spirit. Peter was Jesus' own hand-picked leader, and he failed miserably at his very first test without the Spirit. We should not expect to do any better by ourselves. And one more thing is, Peter was with the other apostles, or at least with John. Um, you can see that from some of the context clues in the book of John. In John 17, 11, Jesus prays that his followers would be one in the same way he was and is one with God the Father. Then in the very next verse, he mentions the one doomed to destruction. I think that's interesting. Now, Judas didn't perish just because he was running by himself, but it didn't help him one bit either. Community matters. Jude 22, the 22nd and 23rd verses of Jude. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupt flesh. Because Judas was alone, he had no one around to do any snatching from a fire. And no one will be able to do it for you either if you're alone. I wouldn't be giving this sermon if it hadn't have been for some very dear friends who have done the same thing for me. Because we can mess up. We can fall away. If you have others around you who can reach out a hand and pull you back, you have a much better chance of making it. In the end, Judas and Peter both got what they were going for. Judas wanted his way. He got his way. Peter wanted to follow Jesus. He did. We have much the same choice today. We can follow Jesus, persist in the Spirit, or we can decide to have things our way. We can decide to do it ourselves. And in the end, someone else will take our place in the kingdom of heaven, as with Judas. The choice is unavoidable between life and death, boldness and shrinking, living as one with our fellow believers or withering alone. And your faith will wither if you are alone. If you have not chosen life, I invite you to make that choice here and now. Life is fragile and there's no guarantee you will get another chance. Follow Jesus today and you will find the same thing Peter did. Find that same value that made it worth giving up his life. Or you can go that your own way. You can. I've been down that road. There's nothing worth finding there. For those of, you, for those of us who have chosen life, now is not the time to let up. None of us are beyond temptation. Remember, Judas had three years under the direct supervision of Jesus 
and we see how his story ended. Keep your eyes on the prize and finish the race. And when you do slip up, because it will happen, there is grace. And remember that denying Jesus was far from Peter's only mistake. Repent and keep following. Dear Lord, I want to thank you for this grace that you to cover themselves in this grace today. To not carry in doing good, but to follow you. Thank you for everything that you have done for us. And in Jesus' name we pray.